Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a legal podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Jordan Rubin. So, Jordan, uh, tis the season. It is. End of the term grind. That's right. It is what Justice Ginsburg calls the flood season. That is the time when the the court tries to get out all of its remaining opinions and argued cases before wrapping up at the end of June. So we are going to be bringing weekly updates of the opinions that the justices has have handed down. Um, a little change in our usual routine. Uh, but this is our first such opinion update episode. And on Monday, the Supreme Court handed down three opinions in argued cases, meaning that they have 37 remaining. So they've handed down 32 opinions so far. So they have more than half to go, but that's pretty uh, par for the course. Um, of course, outstanding are some of the most consequential cases from this term, including. Uh, the cases on partisan gerrymandering and on the census question. But before we get into the three opinions that the court handed down, there was some interesting activity on the court's death penalty docket. Can you tell us about that, Jordan? Sure. Yeah. So basically since February, the death penalty litigation at the court has been just kind of nuts. And it's basically an open war between the Republican-appointed and Democratic-appointed justices on the court, and they're still sort of arguing about cases that are already over, or it seems like they're not over because they're still arguing (laughs) about them. So on Monday, uh, one of the orders started off with a denial of cert in the case of Christopher Price, and that's an Alabama case where the justices had a pretty heated decision last month, and this was where... Uh, Justice Breyer criticized the majority's ruling against him in this sort of uh, middle of the night dissent where Justice Breyer said, why couldn't we just sort of wait until the morning at least to to talk about this? And he actually, Price actually wound up not even getting executed that night because the decision came down too late. And so the state called it off and he's actually now scheduled to be executed at the end of this month. And so this was a denial of Price's petition that he still had pending after last month's case. And Justice Thomas, in uh, concurring with the denial of Price's petition, he basically took the opportunity to say, hey, just FYI, uh, Justice Breyer's dissent from last month was really wrong, and I'm going to tell you all these reasons why. Uh, In Justice Thomas's words, he was setting the record straight, and he said that there is nothing of substance to the assertions in Justice Breyer's dissent. And so you could still see that these tensions Yikes. are still running high in this case. And there's, you know, it's a, it was a fairly lengthy separate opinion, especially for one that's just concurring and agreeing with what the court did. And so, you know, Thomas went into the facts of the crime, which of course are horrific as they often are in these cases. And he criticized Breyer for not mentioning them in his dissent, um, although the facts of the case aren't necessarily relevant to the legal issue in the case, but some of the justices get upset when other ones don't go into the facts of the crime. And so basically it was just a long kind of tirade against Breyer. And so you can see that they're still sort of mad about these cases that are still ongoing, even though they're over. It wasn't like Justice Breyer's opinion, though, was really tame um, that Justice Thomas was responding to. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, Justice Breyer said that, um, you know, basically they were 
being arbitrary and unfair, and there kind of is no good reason for them not to have waited just a day. The problem with that argument, at least from the conservative justice point of view, it seems, is that the whole issue is that from uh, the conservatives' view is that death penalty litigation is all basically trying to wait till the 11th hour to get these stays. And so just waiting an extra day right. uh, would be, you know, like a pretty grave harm from from their view and sort of would set a bad example, it seems. And so there's this kind of increased effort to try and give kind of no leeway at all to anything that would resemble a delay from the majority's view. Right. And so we had another um, death penalty um, order that on Monday morning, but I think I may be skipping over it a little bit um, to kind of continue on with this kind of um, delayed claims that are brought um, to bring us to the really unusual order that we got on Monday, right? Yeah. So sort of following along these lines, I mentioned this all kind of started back in February and uh, the the case from back in February was the one that I think a lot of people know, even ones who don't necessarily follow the death penalty litigation that closely, was of a Muslim inmate who wanted his imam in the death chamber with him, and he was denied his claim, and a lot of people got upset about that. Well, and not only was he denied the claim, but the Supreme Court reversed a stay of, I think it was out of the 11th Circuit, right? Um, to affirmatively allow the execution to go forward. Yeah, so that was another uh, Alabama case as well, just like the mm. the Price uh, case was. Um, that's where a fair amount of the death penalty litigation is coming from. And so, right, so that's what happened back in February. Then in March, there was basically a, there was a similar claim from a Buddhist inmate mm-hmm. who also was challenging his uh, the denial of him having a Buddhist uh faith minister with him in the death chamber and the court ruled in his favor. And so that led people to say, hey, you know, this is, you know, pretty clearly you're ruling one way for one person just because of their difference in religion was the criticism that it seemed for some people. Um, There is some difference in the type of First Amendment claims that they were bringing, which is what some people were pointing to as the difference. So anyway, that's a long way of saying from this opinion uh, back in March, on the Buddhist inmate uh, Patrick Murphy's claim on Monday, and this was even after the orders list came out and after the opinions were handed down, right? Right. Um, we got word that Justice Alito was dissenting from the grant of the stay in Murphy's case. In March, all, from the March grant. Yeah, yeah, all this time later. And so that was the latest sort of showing. In a, and again, this is getting back to this theme of the conservative justices being upset with their seeing as delays in bringing claims and trying to kind of run, it, uh, run out the clock and kind of just being obstructionist from their mm-hmm. view. And so Alito, because he didn't, uh, when the stay was issued in March, it was only justices Gorsuch and Thomas, who noted their dissent, mm-hmm. this gets into this whole, you know, shadow docket thing of how do we actually know who, you know, did or didn't note their dissent. And this is interesting because it shows that, you know, sometimes people who did dissent or agreed with the dissent just didn't note their right. dissent that time. Right. And so even aside from the substance of this case, this is kind of interesting on that. So Alito says, FYI, I totally disagreed with the granting of the stay at the time. And I think everybody kind of knew that. That's not so much a surprise because him and Gorsuch and Thomas usually are voting together against death row inmates. But he basically goes again, kind of lays out this whole thing about how there was too much delay. And he Mm -hmm. even again is talking about the Muslim inmates case, the Ray case, again, still litigating 
that case and showing that people are still upset about this on the court. And so that was Justice Alito kind of officially joining Justices Thomas and Gorsuch saying that they were still disagreeing mm-hmm. about the granting the stay to the Buddhist inmate back in March. And then that prompted another, yet another opinion on Monday in this same case of the Buddhist inmate from Justice Kavanaugh, who did rule for the Buddhist inmate at the time. And who had written a concurrence at the time, right? Exactly, Or yeah. a statement. So this is his second opinion in the same order. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so right. he's... but That's he's totally saying, normal. Yeah, well, he, well, Kavanaugh is saying in his, in his separate opinion that he was writing it because of mm-hmm. Alito's opinion. So he wanted to sort of get out his own view. And one of the things that he was saying was uh, pointing out what in his view anyway were differences between the Murphy case of the Buddhist inmate and the, the Muslim inmate because um, gets sort of into the weeds at that point. But he's saying basically the type of claim, right. um, sort of free exercise versus... Equal treatment. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so um, in... Because what wound up happening in Murphy's case is after he was granted a stay, what Texas went ahead and did is say, okay, the new rule here is nobody gets a minister of their faith when they go into the into the chamber at all. So, you know. I kind of, this is why we can't have nice things. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Nobody gets pie now. So yeah. we're all, yeah. And so Kavanaugh. The notes, pie being someone in your room, your religious advisor in the room yeah, when you die. Exactly. Okay. And so, um, unless that is your faith, it's pie based, um, <laughs> then that is exactly what it is. So anyway, Kavanaugh actually notes that in his opinion, saying, hey, you know, our opinion actually helped kind of like facilitate this policy of everybody kind of, you know, being equally not allowed to to get this thing. And so, yeah, that's all a long way of saying these death penalty wars are still being waged and there's going to be more to come, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely more to come as, you know, uh, there are more uh, executions set in the next few months. Um but that order in that in that Buddhist case was so unusual. Um, and I remember sitting in the in the press room and normally, you know, when you get an order, they just kind of like hand it to you. And, mm-hmm. you know, you search through and figure out what's important, what's not important, what's on there, what's not on there. Um, this one, the press office actually came out and it pointed out to us that this is a March order. Yeah. Um, new stuff in here. Here's what's new. And um, and tried to walk away. But then we were like, wait, what? Hmm? Yeah. Um, so kind of highlighting the unusual nature of of that order. We'll see. Yeah, Seems like, like why they've wouldn't got they some... have just handed it down with the orders list in the morning, right? Or in March. I don't know. Right. They're very busy. Yeah, apparently. Um, well, I think that'll be something to continue to watch. Um, For sure. And then the actual opinions. That's right. Um, we had an interesting lineup there, too. Now, again, still speaking of Justice Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. Um, he joined a 5-4 decision with the liberal justices in a case. you want to tell us about that one? Right. Well, this is one of two 5-4 decisions that were issued on Monday. Um, this one is Apple versus Pepper. It came down in an antitrust case against the tech giant Apple. The Apple case is interesting in and of itself without um, kind of the unique mm-hmm. vote breakdown. Um, and that's because this is another one of those cases where the Supreme Court is trying to map old rules onto new technology. And so at issue here was a 1977 ruling which said that consumers can only sue a company for anti-competitive pricing if they were a direct purchaser from that company. So they can't sue um, along what's called the vertical distribution chain. Mm-hmm. Um 
here, the issue is whether or not um, the apps on your iPhones that are actually developed by third parties um, could still serve as the basis to sue Apple because Apple is in charge of the marketplace Mm -hmm. that you buy the apps from. So um, Justice Kavanaugh joined the liberal justices to say that you can sue. And many people think that this could bring um, some increased litigation against other tech giants like Google, who has a similar marketplace, and maybe Facebook. Um, But of course, this was just a ruling about whether or not these consumers can sue. Right. It's not a ruling on the merits. So I think we'll have to see you know, how the case ultimately comes out to know what the effect will be on uh, tech companies. But an interesting lineup on another data point on uh, Justice Kavanaugh, who we're all kind of assessing to see what kind of justice he'll be. Yeah. And showing his difference from Justice Gorsuch, right? Who That's right. The dissent That's in right. That case. That's right. It's the battle of the Trump nominees. Exactly. See, they're not, you know, they're not all just clones doing the same thing. Not on every case, anyway. Did someone say they were clones? No, you know what I mean. It's like everybody gets all lobbed together. Ah, that's right. It'll be true on the bigger cases, but anyway. Like, or even not on the buzzer. (laughs) Segway alert. (laughs) Not even on just the bigger cases, but we did see um, another 5-4 breakdown in... Uh, the second case um, that the court issued, um, this was actually uh, an interesting case in and of itself. It's got some interesting facts. It's actually Franchise Tax per Board versus Hyatt. And this was its third trip to the Supreme Court. Wow. Fun. Why? Uh, <laughs> Is that a whole other podcast? That's a whole other podcast. All right. Um, and actually, the second trip for this particular issue, uh, the justices heard uh, this question when they were sitting with an eight-member court, and they presumably they were divided 4-4, so they took it up again um, with a full court. Uh, and uh, it's got some pretty wild facts. Um, like? <laughs> like, eventually, a Nevada resident... Well, I guess that's the question is whether or not he's a Nevada resident. But the Nevada resident was able to secure a nearly half a billion dollar judgment against a California agency. Um, So, you know, it's a pretty big deal for California. Yeah. Um, But what's at issue is whether or not um, states can be sued in other state courts. Um, It's really a sovereign immunity question. And the question, um, the presented was whether or not the court should overturn a 1979 ruling saying that courts can actually be sued um, in the courts of other courts. Um, So that's an important issue, uh, just thinking about sovereign immunity. But Justice Breyer, in his dissent, noted that it doesn't actually happen all that often. He said there was only 14 cases in the last 40 years of a state entertaining um, litigation against another state. Normally, they don't agree to hear those kinds of cases. Um, but it could be significant for the way that the newly reconstituted court is going to treat precedent. And that's kind of something that you saw the justices in the minority um, really focusing on. And that's because, you know, Justice Thomas's reasoning for overturning this 40-year-old precedent was basically that it was wrongly decided. Right. Um, and that, you know, the court isn't bound by an erroneous decision, especially in the realm of constitutional law, where, you know, it's, it's difficult for Congress to, um, to change that. So Justice Breyer warned that, you know, changing the law... Um, was dangerous in this way simply because five members of the court think that an earlier court got it wrong. Right. And he um, kind of underlying, you know, 
the words that he was saying, I think, was this thought that there are a lot of cases that the Supreme Court is going to be reconsidering. Um, and if it doesn't stick by kind of this idea of stare decisis, what is that world going to look like? Um, and he, you know, explicitly cited to um, some of the court's abortion jurisprudence. Um, but, you know, there are other things waiting in the wings like agency deference. And- right. But that's, I guess, one of the big ones on a lot of people's minds, especially as all these states are enacting stricter abortion laws is, you know, if a case asking the court to overturn Roe v. Wade is going to come before the court, then sort of, you know, the implication of what Breyer's saying is, well, why not just overturn that, too, if you just don't like it, which it seems the majority of the court doesn't. Right. Right. That's exactly right. Um, but I don't think it but I don't think it's just about um, abortion. I mean, right. I do think it's also we saw the the um, more liberal justices get pretty upset last term um, in a case called Janus about public sector unions where, you know, they they overturned a, a, a longstanding case. So I think this is going to be an issue we're going to we're going to be hearing about a lot. Right. And I mean, even this term, there's multiple cases where the question just straight up is, should we overturn this precedent, basically? Right. Right. So. Right. Um, so we'll see. All right. Um, now, I know the justices hate it um, when we only talk about 5-4 decisions. So were there any non-5-4 decisions that came down on Monday? There was. Um, they're going to hate this, too, because I'm not going to talk about it for, for that long. <laughs> our listeners are tired already. Um, there was a unanimous opinion written by Justice Thomas, and this was in Kochi's Consultancy uh, versus United States X Rail Hunt, and this had to do with uh, False Claims Act whistleblower claims. And to make a long story short, it had to do with statutes of limitations, and essentially, the court handed down a more plaintiff-friendly ruling that will allow more of these types of claims to go forward. And that's the the long and the short of it. But we'd all encourage you to read this <laughs> nice, short, unanimous opinion, <laughs> which is the bulk of the court's work, well, as they'll tell you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, well, I think that's going to do it for this week's uh, opinion wrap up. We'll be back next week um, with another opinion wrap up. Hopefully they'll issue some opinions, but we don't really know. We don't. It's um, every day is a new adventure at the court. Right. So this time of Maybe the we'll get another order from, you know, an old 2019 an even older death penalty stay. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, just keep this litigation going. <laughs> um, that's right. So the schedule switches up at the court um, for May and June. They're no longer hearing cases. And so um, they conference on Thursdays now instead of Fridays. And they will let us know whether or not they'll be expecting opinions the next week. Most opinions come out on Mondays um, in May and the beginning of June. But we could also get some um, on Thursdays. And then as the term gets closer to wrapping up at the end of June, uh, the court starts issuing opinions every day Um, and perhaps adding more days onto the term. We're not really sure. So we are going to bring you an opinion wrap up every week, Um, kind of rain or shine, opinions or not. We record inside, so it's all good. Oh, well, I could, like, splash you with water or something if you want. All right, maybe. Maybe (laughs) once it gets to the end of the term, we'll probably all need it. Okay. Uh, Well, next time. Um, Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. Dot com. I almost got you you on that one. Thanks for listening. Bye.
You probably have a lot of questions about the environment. Well, so do we. Are we talking like radioactive chemicals? Is this becoming sort of irrelevant if the US doesn't participate in this? What's going on here? How far did the Trump administration go? And is mining really better down where it's wetter? Climate change, chemicals, water pollution, you name it. If it's in the environment, we're talking about it. Listen to Bloomberg Environment's official podcast, Parts Per Billion, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, get up-to-the-minute reporting at our website, news.bloombergenvironment.com.